Merry Christmas, brothers and sisters, and welcome back to Crossing the Jordan. And this episode is a Christmas special as we celebrate. So I just want to first just wish you and bless you with a with you and your family to enjoy this time of Christmas, to reflect on that God became man for you, that he loves you so much that he would take on your human flesh to save you, to redeem you, to lift you up, to divinize you, and to, to become a divine son or divine daughter of God by adoption through the grace of Jesus and uh, and also a eager anticipation with contentment in our hearts and peace and that beautiful relationship we have with the Lord is uh, that beautiful eagerness though is the divine bridegroom he's coming let's go out to meet him so every single day we await his second coming we are, we uh, prepare ourselves for a second coming not out of fear but out of great love and hope this was a thing of great hope for the first Christians was thinking that he's going to be returning soon. So this is a time of great hope and great desire because all things will be made brand new, new creation, new heaven, a new earth, and our bodies, the fullness of redemption, fully given by the grace of Jesus, by his power and love. So uh, first, Merry Christmas. This is a Christmas special. And the, the title of this will be Cute Baby Jesus or Fierce Warrior. Because... We all know that we see around this time, and it is a happy time, however, but we see this fluffiness around this Christmas season, not just from a secular perspective, but even in a Christian perspective. We have a nativity scene out front of our house. We have uh, you know, these things that we're doing for, for Jesus and are at the church, but the, that nativity scene is gone into a picture and an image that we receive that we do not understand. <laughs> we look at that and say, cute baby Jesus. And this perfect, beautiful scenery with Mary and Joseph. Oh, what, how perfect. Well, first off, the very birth of Jesus was not perfect. They could not find a place to give birth to the divine child. And they were uh, in a, either in a cave or, a mate, or in a like, you know, place where animals eat. And so this is not a uh, just a normal, easy, or by far from our sense of perfection of of uh, giving birth. And so Christ, the Christ child, the very scenery is not what we think it is. And so this cute baby Jesus, but more so than just the surrounding things, but we don't know what he's doing there. Like, oh, God became a baby. No. Well, uh, Father John Ricardo, he talks about this, how when we look at the nativity scene and these beautiful pictures of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, which is beautiful, it is good, it is gorgeous, it's it's amazing, <laughs> but would we be able to say, if somebody were to ask us, well, what is he doing there? Well, we can say that for a lot of other pictures that we see like allies landing in D-Day, right? And what are they doing there? They came to fight. So listen to this. This is from Wisdom chapter 18, verses 14 through 16. This is a prophetic message about what Jesus came to do. So I pray that this changes our view and our vision of how we see the, the nativity scene away from cute baby Jesus to the reality of what he came to do. Wisdom 18, starting in verse 14. For while gentle silence enveloped all things and night in its swift course was now half gone, your all-powerful word leaped from heaven, from the royal throne, into the midst of the land that was doomed, a stern warrior, carrying the sharp sword of your authentic command, and stood and filled all things with death, and touched heaven while standing on the earth. 
This is the prophetic message of what Jesus came to do. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, this all-powerful word, that word in Greek and in Hebrew was known as what created all things into being for the Jews and also for right order. Everything was put into order. So this eternal word who created all things is God himself, all-powerful God. This eternal word took on human flesh. Jesus came into a doomed land, our earth that is filled with brokenness and division. These human beings that were created for love and to be united in truth together has been deceived by the devil. We've been sold into the power and slavery of sin that leads to death, destruction, and division. This eternal son takes on that same human flesh that was made in the image of God and is now broken, takes on our human flesh to destroy the works of the devil. The way the church fathers would talk about it is that God put, he fought the devil with his hands tied behind his back because he took on that broken human flesh made in the image of God to deceive the devil and to destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus came to fight in this doomed land. And when he stood on the earth, it says that he stood on the earth and touched heaven while standing on the earth. He took on human flesh, but he retained his divinity. This divine person who assumed human flesh is a stern or fierce warrior that it says stood and filled all things with death. What does that mean? Well, Jesus came to put the death, the works of the flesh, that broken humanity that leads to destruction, that weakness that we have, the darkening of our intellects, the weakening of our wills. He came to fill that with strength. He put, he came to put to death the deeds of the flesh and he came to put to death the works of the devil, which is sin, suffering, and destruction and death itself. He came to destroy, to put to death, death. <laughs> so he came to give life. So what is Jesus doing there in that cute nativity scene? He came to fight, to do battle, to wage war against the devil, sin, and death. So this miraculous birth of Jesus, this beautiful image that we have, yes, beautiful, but also powerful. God became man to do battle. And so this miraculous birth that we celebrate on December 25th, and for uh, for also for folks out there who uh, may ever hear about how, uh, you know, Jesus wasn't actually born on December 25th. Well, there is actually great tradition and great uh, just, uh, you know, logic back there for December 25th, but also it's not a church teaching. <laughs> it's just a date selected to celebrate the birth of Jesus. So this miraculous birth of Jesus that we celebrate every single Christmas also points to the very purpose for which he came. His birth points to his death. His birth points to his death and resurrection. His birth points to his passion. So here are the few different things that points from his this, this beautiful image that we have, this stern warrior, this fierce warrior who came to do battle. So there's two different traditions. One is that he was born in a cave. And uh, supposedly, and I just recently heard this, is that if you go to go to Bethlehem, there's actually a cave where they honor where Jesus was born. So he, uh, this first tradition is that he was born in a cave. Well, uh, in that imagery in Luke, it says that he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid. And laid. He says that, uh, the Gospel of Luke says that again at the time of his, uh, at the time of his death. He was wrapped in cloths and laid in the tomb. And so he was laid. Uh, His very birth is pointing to his death. This miraculous birth also, when he came uh, out of Mary's womb, and it is a miraculous birth. We say Mary was a virgin before, during, and after. Her womb was never opened. And 
uh, and the Bible never shows about how Mary had to get like cleaned up or, or healed or anything like that. He was just born. And in the first tradition, I think it was in the second, second century, was that Jesus just came miraculously out of the womb. Well, for the Jews, the tomb, a place of burial, was also a reflection of the womb, this place of darkness and enclosure. And so Jesus, this miraculous birth out of Mary's womb, points to the miraculous resurrection of Jesus out of the tomb. So again, his birth points to what he came to do in his death and resurrection. The other tradition is that he was also born in a manger. And I think this is more fitting in scripture. Uh, This is just a personal opinion and personal knowledge. I haven't done all the research, but he was born in a manger. Well, a manger was made out of wood. And the wood of that manger points to the wood of the cross. And the manger was a feeding trough where animals came to eat. Well, Jesus is that food, that bread of life that came down to give himself as food, to give life to the world. And the, the very place that he was born is Bethlehem. In Hebrew, it means house of bread. and Aramaic, it means house of meat. And yet he says that he is the true bread that came down from heaven. Now, Catholics, we don't believe that he's bread. <laughs> he gives himself fully body, blood, soul, and divinity under the appearance of bread and wine. And he actually uses that, that word in Aramaic in John 6 when, he, when people are having a hard time believing this. He actually strengthens the word that he uses for chewing and gnawing on his flesh or the meat of his body. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have abide, will abide in him and he in us and he will raise us on the last day because his body and blood are true food and true drink. And he who does not eat of the flesh and drink of the blood of this son of man who came to give us his divine life has no life within them, Jesus says. And so this, again, this beautiful image of Jesus' miraculous birth is pointing to the very purpose for which he came, for his life, passion, death, and resurrection out of infinite love for you and to continue to give himself fully. And his death is once, his offering is eternal. And so he says, do this or offer this in memory of me to bring this present, this very uh, passion, this very life of mine that I fully gave on the cross will ever be made, given to you, not made out of human hands, but in the temple of heaven. And I'll lift you up there every single time you partake of the Eucharist, this offering, so that you would receive life. When I rose from the dead, I give you my life. I give you my full self, me, my body, blood, soul, and divinity, so that you and your humanity will be able to partake of that divine victory over sin, death, and the devil. And so he has this, this birth points to his death and resurrection. And even think about the very purpose of after his birth, there was magi, there were shepherds, and there were angels. What is God, what is Jesus coming to do? He's coming to bring the Gentiles. He's coming to bring the Jews. He's coming to bring heaven with all the angels and saints all together in one. So he's bringing together the entire world and all of creation into this new creation. No longer is it going to be Greek versus Jew, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. And we are actually going to be made even greater than the angels, <laughs> that we are going to judge angels, St. Paul says. And what do they come and give him as gifts? Frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Frankincense was an offering of worship. So he is God himself, God Almighty, in the flesh, this stern warrior who came to take on all those things that destroy us, that do not give us life. He came to fight for that. And this God is full of worthiness of our lives. And so we offer him frankincense and a prayer of worship. And they gave him gold, which was a symbol of royalty and kingship 
He is our king. He is the one who reigns over this earth, even when the devil is the ruler of this world, he says. But Jesus is victorious. He already has won the victory. We're fighting the battles with his victory in, in our hearts. And so, and then he's given myrrh. And myrrh was a balm for bodies that were going to be buried. And so again, this cute baby Jesus that we see in the nativity scene is a stern warrior who came to give his life and his entire life is salvific. So even at the moment moment of his conception, his entire life was salvific. His very sacred heart was already in the place of giving himself fully to God on our behalf, taking our place so that we can, in his place, rise to divine sonship, divine adoption into his very life that we would be able to say that we are sons and daughters of God. And so this Christmas, let's get that image out of our head about cute baby Jesus. Let's say, no, that's, that's cute baby Jesus, who is also a fierce warrior, who took on human flesh, who came to fight for me, to give his life for me. And this very birth points to what he came to do at the cross and his resurrection and in the Eucharist. And in fact, the only two miracles that are recorded in all four Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is Jesus' resurrection and the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus' resurrection because if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then our, then our faith is in vain and we should no longer be Christians, should no longer be Catholics. This is all worthless. And then the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000, as we see in John 6, is a sign of what he would do in the Eucharist. That it would be the same one, it'd be the same loaves that he would multiply. So it's not new loaves that he was creating. He was multiplying from what was already there. So Jesus, in the Eucharist, does the exact same miracle every single Mass. Is that it's not a, it's not new flesh. It's not new blood. It is Jesus right there multiplying what he himself is, body, blood, soul, and divinity. He's giving his entire life. And so this Eucharist would be the way that we enter into his victory, his resurrection, his life, passion, death, and resurrection, that we'd participate, that we would receive as a gift, and we would actually be risen up, taken up into heaven, as the book of Hebrews says in chapter 12, uh, 22, talking about the Mass, that we have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, with innumerable angels, and feastal gathering, and the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and the spirits of just men made perfect, all the saints, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkled blood of of that speaks more graciously than the blood of Abel. And Abel was that perfect sacrifice. Cain gave the bad one. Abel gave the perfect one. Jesus gives the perfect sacrifice of himself. And he gives us himself at every single Mass to enter into that life, passion, death, and resurrection. And so these two miracles are not uh, two separate things. They're in the same reality to enter into his Jesus' victory. And we've had many episodes on the past that I'd recommend go listen to, both on the Eucharist and the Mass. But one thing I just wanted to say here is that many people, me coming from a non-Catholic background and also a lot of non-Catholic Christians, not all of them, but many of them will look at baptism and the Eucharist and, and look at Catholics and say, you're working to earn your salvation. No, both of those are free gifts of God. That's totally God's grace. Uh, like think of even baptism. We've had episodes on that too, so go listen to that much more. But uh, Jesus says in himself in John 3 that we must be born again of water and the Spirit. Think of our first birth. We didn't do anything to be born. We just simply received it. And it's the same thing in baptism. It's God's grace to be adopted sons and daughters in Jesus. And so 
Uh, it's totally God's work. It's his grace. It's nothing that we can do or merit or make a reality. It's totally by God's grace and his work. Same thing with the Eucharist. Is uh, As we were reading through the Bible in a Year podcast with Father Mike Schmitz in 1 Corinthians 11, it really hit me the way that St. Paul talks about the Eucharist. It's not something that we do or work to get. It's Jesus gave himself fully for you on the cross, and Jesus gives himself fully for you in the Eucharist to unite himself, to, to unite you to himself in his life, passion, death, and resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, St. Paul says, For I received from the Lord. So he, he doesn't say that he just made it up or found out. He received from the Lord, from Jesus himself. We receive it. What I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also the chalice after supper, saying, This chalice is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink chalice, drink the chalice, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, and then he talks about receiving the Eucharist worthily. And so the Eucharist is a work of God. And that's something that we do. It's something that we simply receive. Just as we receive the free grace of salvation, we also, and we cannot coerce Jesus to come and die for us. God did it. He first loved us. And same thing with the Eucharist is that we receive it. It's not something that we do or coerce God to do. It's we simply receive it because it's God's work. God did it. Jesus did it. He took on our flesh to give us brand new life. And there's so much more that we can say, but we'll leave it at this. For a while, gentle silence enveloped all things, and night in its swift course was now half gone. Your all-powerful word leaped from heaven, from the royal throne, into the midst of the land that was doomed. A stern, a fierce warrior. Merry Christmas and God bless you. Thank you.